Hey, welcome to my show. Today we have a special guest, a real estate investor who is also my mentor, Joe Fairless. Joe is going to share with us the story of his first deal and he's going to take us through the narrative of someone who wants to buy an apartment building but has no experience. And in the commercial real estate world, no experience usually equals no deals. Let's hear his journey and how he made his way from zero to 3,000 units in five years. The challenge was most people knew me from my advertising career. Even though I was teaching some classes, it's still the perception wasn't necessarily me being a real estate investor. It was me being the person who works at advertising agencies. So the challenge was first, I had to find a way to align interests with investors if I were to if I was going to purchase a property. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories with Ellie. Today on the show, we have Joe Fairless. Uh, Joe controls over 300 million, yes, 300 million worth of real estate in Houston and Dallas, Fort Worth. He grew up in Fort Worth where uh, he graduated from Texas Tech University. He has been investing in real estate since 08. And prior to that, he uh, was the youngest vice president at an award-winning advertising agency. He is also the host of the world's longest running daily real estate uh, podcast, Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever. And on a personal note, um, Joe is also my business mentor. So without further ado, I would like to uh, have Joe joining us. Hey, Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be on the show and looking forward to our conversation. Of course, me too. So I'm sure with all your you know years of experience and the deals that you've been involved with that you probably have many, many stories to share. So I know it's probably hard to choose, but you know, let's uh, just dive in. And uh, if you can just pick one story that you would like to share with us, uh, we can just take it from there. Sure. Yeah. It's the story of how I got my first apartment syndication put together. That tends to be uh, something that a lot of real estate investors are curious about because uh, it's the story of going from small multifamilies. I had uh, actually small units. I had four single family homes to then my next deal was over 150 unit apartment community. And uh, the challenges along the way from going uh, from not only uh, single family homes to multifamily, but single family homes to partnering with investors, which I had never done before. And from going from an advertising career to being a full-time real estate investor. So all that stuff packaged into one story 
And I figured that would be a good one to, to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that a lot of uh, many of our listeners are also in that stage where they they have the full time job and they're trying to, you know, make the decision how to get into real estate. Should I start small and then go big? Should I start with syndication first? Maybe, you know, only play with my money and see how it goes and then have others join, you know, to my investment. So I think that could be you know, really interesting story and kind of, um, I think a lot of people can actually learn from it and be inspired as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, when I, when I got started in real estate, I was working a full-time job in advertising. I was uh, working on Madison Avenue Mm -hmm. at advertising agencies and I was investing on the side and more and more of my friends were uh, seeing what I was doing and they were like, Hey, Joe, I know you're working at an agency, advertising agency with us. How are you also buying these single family homes? And I got that question more and more often. So I started teaching a class on it uh, on the side. And when I started doing that, then I realized that I I really enjoyed uh, the class and telling others about what I was doing because I was helping them out too. They started buying some real estate um, in while living in New York, they started buying in other markets. So um, when I came a point, came to a point in my career in advertising where I just wasn't digging it anymore. It wasn't fulfilling. And Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs. I won't go into all of them, but the last two lead to fulfillment. That's growth and contribution. I didn't feel like I was growing, and I didn't feel like I was contributing mm-hmm. uh, in a meaningful way. And not to say that if you are in advertising, you're not contributing in a meaningful way. It's just because we all get fulfillment in different things and different ways of life. That's one of the beauties of life. It was just how I was wired, how I am wired. I wasn't bailed by my job. So I needed to branch out. But the challenge was everyone um, or most people knew me from my advertising career. Even though I was teaching some classes, it's still the perception wasn't necessarily me being a a real estate investor, it was me being the person who works at advertising agencies. So the challenge was first, I had to um, find a way to align interests with investors if I were to, if I was going to purchase a property, because ultimately, um, if there's alignment of interests, then that helps a show that uh, I'm in it with them, but not only that it has not only does it have to be alignment of interest, but I need to have others around me who would help me um, have that experience that I didn't have already. There are a couple challenges, and you know, a lot of the the questions I get from investors who are looking to scale uh, boil down to the problem or, or really the challenge of. I want to go larger. I don't have the experience and I can't get the deals because I don't have the experience. Yep. So that's where the story of my first deal really, um, it solves that. And then I can give some other examples for how uh, it can be solved similarly. In other words, Joe wants to buy an apartment building, but nobody wants to sell it to him because he is, in lack of better words, a newbie. He doesn't have any track record or experience and brokers and owners alike are looking to sell their properties to experienced investors. It is like Joe explains a catch 22. When you're just starting in real estate, you need to get your first deal. 
but no one will sell it to you because it's your first deal. Now listen how Joe overcame this hurdle. So with my first deal, I uh, found through someone who I, I met in, via a networking event. And I realized that this deal was not, tr- not traditional. It was not a traditional structure. The seller was actually looking to do a master lease. Um, and I hadn't ever heard of a master lease. Mm-hmm. So I had to do some research on that. And basically what it is, is the seller maintains their position on the loan, but leases out the property to um, me. And in exchange, uh, I uh, receive all the income from the property, but I'm also responsible for all the expenses from operations, but and all, and also the debt service, so the mortgage payment. So I just wanted to ask, how did you come across the deal from someone who was in advertising to you know start looking into real estate and and finding out that this is how you can get fulfillment? How did you start looking you know for deals, and how did you end up looking at that specific deal? I had uh, read, and I still do read. I'm not going to say every book, that's hyperbole, but a whole bunch of books on apartment investing, real estate investing. And I was active on bigger pockets. I'd be reaching out, I was reaching out to people on bigger pockets, uh, jumping on phone calls with them. I was reaching out to the authors of the books and exchanging emails, and in some cases, jumping on phone calls with them. Uh, so through one of my relationships um, from that outreach, I was able to find this deal uh, and in, in Cincinnati. And um, initially, I wasn't even looking in Cincinnati. I was actually looking at Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I went down to Tulsa. I made offers on approximately seven deals, not at once, because the broker said that wouldn't look good for local owners if I was just making offers all at once. But over a period of a month or so, I made seven offers, just unsolicited offers. Didn't get anything. And I, one of the reasons was no one knew who I was and I didn't have the credibility. I didn't have the track record and experience. They weren't weren't taking me seriously. Um, So I knew that something needed to change uh, with, if I was going to get a deal under my belt, a larger deal, I knew I needed to find a way to structure the deal so that I had the right team and I had that alignment of interest. Got it. That's, um, that's a pretty good way to do it, to break into the real estate world. It's a you know, catch-22. You, you, need, you need to have the first deal to, to make it happen, but a lot of you know, many brokers and owners are not going to, like you said, are not going to take you seriously because you haven't done anything yet. So it's kind of partnering up with someone and kind of leaning, you know, kind of borrowing, quote unquote, their experience. It's a pretty good way of doing that. Yeah. 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 I've interviewed people on my podcast. Uh, Carlos Vaz comes to mind. He's a successful apartment investor as well. And he came from, I forget what country in South America, but he came from a country in South America to the United States. And he 
uh, has a similar story where he Mm -hmm. uh, found an apartment building, but he didn't have any track record, didn't have any money. (laughs) And he just wanted to do the deal. So he found, he, he through very, very special skill set of his, you know, persuasion, he got the owner to, um, to agree to have him put it under contract. But then Carlos was like, now what do I do? So he reached out to all the owners in that local area where that property was situated and eventually he found an owner who wanted to partner up with him on the deal. And he didn't say the exact percentage that he gave away, but he implied that it was about 99% of the deal that he gave away. It was a ridiculous amount where he basically didn't make any money, but he got that track record initially. And he, I think he did it multiple times with the same group. And then he was able to stand on his own two feet with the track record and was able to grow from there. That's that's pretty brilliant. I love the outside of the box kind of thinking. And I think um, what you said was also very important that for those who start, sometimes it's not for the first few deals. It's not even about making any profit or making any money. It's all about getting your feet wet and, and actually getting um, getting the deal done and having your name associated with the deal and, and have some ownership. So with time, maybe it's not going to be after one or two deals, but in the third, fourth, the fifth one, you'll be able to do it on your own because you already have the track record and you can build that. You know, it's your sweat equity, obviously, but um, and I, and I think that I think that way of thinking can really help those who just start um, not to be so uh, caught up in the numbers of you know how much they're making because it's all about getting in the game and especially now it's super super competitive in almost every you know major market actually I have a market out there you know in the U.S. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree. I mean, it's about the the the, the team. And having the team mentality, especially with what we do as apartment investors, I mean, even if you're using all of your own money, you still have to have a very strong team or else you're going to not have any of that money in about yeah. two years, right? Yeah. It's, it's still a team game. And I think that's a skill set that is uh, not talked about enough as real estate investors. And it's a skill set of, being a leader so that you attract attractive team members. Mm. Uh, There is a skill to attract attractive team members. When you're starting out, it's challenging to attract attractive team members, but there's, there's ways to do it. Um, I'll mention on my first deal, one way I showed alignment of interest. So we, we, I had the, the master lease, um, as a uh, as a structure that was presented to me, and I, I educated myself on it. Uh, and by the way, one side note on a master lease: you will hear uh, people be interviewed about master leases, and they'll say, "You know, it's, it's the best thing ever." And you'll hear you'll 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 read blog posts or you'll read books about people who do master leases. And they swear by it. Usually, don't say that is a potential uh, deal killer and can lose all your money that you put into it. They usually don't say what I'm about to say, and that is, if you do a master lease, you need, you must make sure that the lender has signed off on you doing the master lease. 
because most likely when you do a mass release, the, it will violate some sort of loan covenant uh, in the loan documents. So unless they sign off, at the, at the very minimum, it's like those loan documents are likely going to say owner can't transfer ownership uh, or can't um, enter into an agreement um, that's basically a master lease, can't enter into that type of agreement without prior written consent from her. And so if you don't have that, which fortunately I took time to read through the loan documents that were on in place. And I actually delayed closing about a week and a half. It's actually probably longer than that. It might've been a month. It's a little fuzzy at this point, but a, a long period of time. What I do remember is going into the closing table after I read those documents or going to the closing table after I read those documents, sitting at the table and my lawyer was on the phone. So I didn't have anyone representing me. And I had the seller and the his two sons, and I had uh, the two brokers and the uh, the title company. They're all around this big old long table, and I had to walk in. I say we're we're not closing today, oh. <laughs> and it was yeah. it, it 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 was. I think my voice cracked. I know that for sure. <laughs> it was nerve wracking. Um, but I did it and thank goodness I did because it would have violated the loan documents. And then we later got written approval from the lender and they were fine with it because the seller stays on the loan. So they're still, in this case, there's a personal guarantee that the seller had with the lender. So they were still personally guaranteeing the loan. So who cares? You know, when Joe messes up, fine. Go after the, the, the person who we initially underwrote. So that's one thing. If you do find yourself looking at doing a mass release, or in some cases, it's called a land contract. They're slightly different, but basically they're the same thing. Um, then make sure you get the lender to sign off on that. So as far as alignment of interest go, for the first deal, what I did to show alignment of interest with um, people who have experience is I asked the brokers to put in their commission into the deal and invest with us for a percent ownership of the deal. And that gave me an immediate talking point for my investors or with my investors who say, who, who undoubtedly said many times, Joe, you got four homes. How are you able, what, you're gonna do a 168 unit apartment building? What? And, one of the ways I would uh, talk to them about this was, hey, I've got the brokers who have probably, I forget how many decades, but at least five decades worth of combined experience in the industry. They like the deal so much, they're putting their commission to the deal. That was a great alignment of interests, um, and that helped me out a lot. Now, that's not enough, though. Usually, that's not enough. You, additionally, I had a property management company mm -hmm. and I said, and this property management company has the track record of, you know, X number of years. And here are some case studies that they've done with similar properties in this area. And whenever, whenever I, we start building uh, team members who have experience in alignment of interest, then 
our role from a, a experience standpoint or lack thereof starts shrinking. And the people who have the experience who are in the deal, it starts increasing. And ultimately we want our experience to take a back seat to the people who are on the ground and co-investing alongside with us when we're starting out. Uh, because quite fr frankly, that's the only way you're gonna get the, most likely the only way you're gonna get the deal done is having those team members. And that's one of the lessons that I applied not only on the first deal, but the first two or three deals, we applied that with different, in different variations. Um, now, you know, we, we don't do it. Um, we don't partner with management companies. We just hire a third party and we don't partner with brokers. Uh, they just get their feet. But the first two or three deals, uh, I applied that and it helped us get up and run. I love that idea. I think it's a great idea especially if you're just starting in with real estate. But my question is, how how common is it? I mean, how easy or hard is it to convince a property management company not to take fee, but to have an equity stake in, you know, in your investment? And the same, you know, goes for brokers, especially, you know, brokers from large brokerage, com you know, firms like ARA, CBRE. I mean, how... How easy or hard is it to actually convince them to get equity instead of their regular fee? Well, easy or hard is determined based on the individual. So I'll just talk about the, the suggested ways to speak to them, and then the individual can decide if it works for him or her. Uh, as far as the uh, property management company goes, they still get their management fee. They're, they still get paid a monthly management fee based on the income collected. It's in addition to that, they have equity in the deal. And there's different ways that, that this can be structured. Uh, and I've, and I've done what I've done all of them. I'm about to tell you, I've done every single one of them on a multifamily deal. So it's not just conceptual stuff. This is actual things that have worked. Uh, one is, uh, actually, I haven't done this one. <laughs> you give them a token equity stake and that's it. I've never actually done that where I've just given them free equity and that was it. But you know what? I would have. I would have done it if that's what it took to be able to say XYZ management company is uh, managing our deal and they also like the deal so much they're going to be on the general partnership with us. If I needed to do it, I would have done it. I would have given them like well, 1%. 2% of the general partnership at most, something like that. Um, that is one way. And so you ask how easy or hard it is, is it? Well, I mean, you know, you tell a management company, I'm going to pay you a regular fee, plus I want to give you 1% ownership of the general partnership. It was instead of, of the fees, yeah. Right, exactly. The other ones, the other ways I'm about to say I have done, for sure, I won't, uh, I won't go back on that one. And that is, having them invest their own money in the deal. I've partnered with the management company early days that did that. And, uh, have, and then the next way would be having them invest their own money in the deal and then also uh, bring in their own investors into the deal. 
I mean, that shows a major alignment of interest. Because they've got their own money in the deal and they're bringing their investor money into the deal. Some ways you can structure that is uh, I have specifically structured one of my deals uh, early days, this the following, where we brought 70% of the equity, but we got 50% of the general partnership. So the property management company brought 30% of the equity, but they got 50% of the general partnership. And that 20% that they received was because of their track record and experience. So uh, with the property management company, the example would be, and I have done this, where the property management company puts in 70% of the equity, or excuse me, we put in 70% of the equity, but we receive 50% of the general partnership. Whereas the property management company that we partnered with, they brought 30% of the equity and they received 50% of the general partnership. So that extra 20% that they received, uh, it wasn't for free because their track record helped us close the deal and helped us with our investors. Joe was able to close his first deal by partnering with an experienced property management company and borrowing, so to speak, their reputation. It wasn't about making money, says Joe. It was about getting the deal done. That's where, when we think long-term, mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss talks about playing the long game. When we play the long game and we think about, okay, how can this help us in the long run? I know short-term, we're not going to make as much, but long run, how can we leverage this and build on it? Then we're going to set our business up for success. And the challenge that some people have is they get caught up in the short-term dollars and cents. But really, if we're savvy enough and resourceful enough, all we got to do is, you know, have, have the door crack just a little bit and we'll blow it wide open. And that's all that I was looking for is just have the door crack a little bit, open it up just slightly so we can kind of squeeze our way in just a little bit into this this world and then boom I knew I was going to blow the door wide open as soon as we got that got that first couple deals going. Mm-hmm. And and tell me a little bit more about the deal. How big was it? Do you still own it? Um anything that you can, you know, share about the deal? Yeah, with the the deal we ended up in October, actually Halloween and well, let's see, 2 years ago, I think. Two years ago, I ended up selling it. Uh, it went well. And uh, the, the, the most important thing is um, how, what percent of investors after one deal then choose to invest with you on future deals? Because again, it, it ties back to kind of the long-term relationships. And I have uh, 70% of those investors who have invested in not only one deal after that, but multiple deals and to invest. But as long as we're, you know, continue to build those relationships and, you know, for the long run, then, then we're set up for success. And the, but as far as the alignment of interests go, um, we have built the company based on that principle. So the principles that I learned in the first deal where we've got to have a, a bench of 
or we've got to have an all-star team and they've got to be a, have alignment of interest. Those are the principles that we use now um, with our partners. And the beauty of it is we can, as we grow, we can start getting larger pieces of the pie. Specifically, I mean, um, having a third-party property management company, but we have so many units with them you better believe we have alignment of interest with them and they have it with us because we're such a big customer of theirs. So it's interesting how alignment of interests evolve over time as you do more and more deals. It doesn't look like it did initially where you're giving away a chunk of the deals. Instead, you're going to be so valuable to your business partners that they don't want to screw you over. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating dynamic how that happens. And, but at the end of the day, we got we to gotta make sure that every one of our deals has that. You heard how Joe managed to close his first deal. So obviously that was a successful story. But what about the people who said no when he had to raise money to buy that deal? At the time, uh, it is, at the time back then, uh, putting myself in my the place I was back then and my mindset back then, it was a um, personal letdown. But as I started being more and more focused on personal development, I mean, that's a huge component of how I got to where I'm at and how I'll continue to evolve as a human being. I recognized that... Uh, I mean, just these these little little uh, sayings that I remember. You know, every no leads me closer to a yes. And uh, if someone says they're not interested, then one of, and it's a good opportunity, then it's for one of two reasons. One, I have not properly explained the opportunity, or two, it's simply not the right time. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about that one and two. One, if I haven't properly explained the opportunity, well, that could mean that I uh, did not ask the right questions to get to the core of what their concerns are and what they're looking to do. Uh, And if it's not the right time, it could be not the right time for them based on liquidity, and maybe they don't didn't want to say that, or it could be not the right time in our relationship together because I don't have the track record that they're looking for. That could be it too. And that was a lot of, lot of reason. That's why I you know, did the limited interesting. So when I, when I heard that initially, um, it hurt, but I was also, I was watching YouTube videos every day and Tony, listen to Tony Robbins and I, nothing, nothing's, you know, whatever it happens. And I just talk to more people, uh, you know, help tell, tell enough people about a good opportunity and you're eventually going to find people for this. And uh, maybe they were committed. They just weren't sure if it was going to close. And I told them, Hey, it's a great opportunity. Tell enough people about a great opportunity and and you'll find enough for it. And you know, that, that was my approach. Now today, if I hear that, I think the same thing. I think one of two things. I didn't properly explain it and I didn't properly address the questions or concerns they really have. 
or it's just simply not the right time in our relationship or not the right time for them financially or emotionally or whatever else. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love what you said about um, having, you know, that aspect of personal development in, you know, in addition. So it's not, it was not only about finding a deal, you know, getting uh, the right track record or, you know, finding the right investors. It was also another layer of personal development that actually helped you on a personal and professional level to get to where you are. And I think this is something that, you know, many people don't really pay a lot of attention to because it's so easy to get distracted and or, or not dis- not to ha- want to have those distractions and learn whatever we can about real estate and focus on bringing more money or meeting new investors that you forget that other part that is actually very, very meaningful. I know that for me, it helped me a lot to kind of, you know, also the sessions we had together, but, you know, also reading books. Some of them are also on your website that you recommended, like the one thing and having, you know, something to kind of balance that can balance out the the madness when you start because it, it is madness if you're not, you know, really focused and, and um, you don't also pay attention to what's going on around you and, and what's really important in life and why you're even doing this. So I think mm-hmm. that that part really, I mean, it really stood out in the story in, in what you were, you know, talking about. And I think, you know, thank you for sharing that because I think this is a very important part of, of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got to work harder than on ourselves than we do our job. I mean, it's, yeah. again, I, I've, got all, I've got all these little sayings in my mind that are programmed that I've heard from Jim Rome, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, a whole bunch of others. But it's all true. I mean, all this stuff is true. Um, all those sayings help enough people get what they want. And you'll get everything you want. Um, and there's there's a lot of good books on this stuff. Uh, one that comes to mind is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. That's a, a, a parable. Um, you'll read it in three days or less. Another Three Feet from Gold, Napoleon Hill Foundation, Put um, put that out. Um, that's a, that's a really good book too. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, uh, so at this point, I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests. What would you uh, tell to your 20-year-old self? 20-year-old self, I'd say it's okay to be an entrepreneur. It's actually riskier not to be. Uh, I did not ever want to be an entrepreneur. I thought it was a whole lot of risk. I had seen some people close to me not do well at all at entrepreneurship. And I just wanted a stable full-time job. But when you have a stable full-time job, it can be unstable if something happens out of your control. And as an entrepreneur, clearly a lot of things out of your control, but you have more flexibility to maneuver and come up with solutions. And you're not uh, at the mercy of an individual for the most part, depending on what type of venture you have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and Joe, where can people find you? Uh, you can just go to joefairless.com. Um, there's a, a guide for 24, I think it's 24 ways to find off-market deals. Uh, so you can go to joefairless.com and get that. Or if you email info, info at joefairless.com, there's a apartment investing resources guide 
with a bunch of information, free resources. I think most of it's free. Websites, I don't think there are any paid websites. How to research markets, that sort of thing. Uh, so if you email info at joefairless.com, mention that you heard me on uh, this podcast and a team member, Samantha, will send you that apartment resources guide. All right, perfect. I appreciate it. I enjoyed hearing your story about how you started and uh, basically leveraged other people's um, and other companies' track record to create your own. So that was very inspiring. I appreciate you uh, being on the show today. I'm really grateful to be on the show. I loved it and looking forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.